0: Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Connell. Danny
1: Connell, back to throw versus Denver.
2: He's his tight end and Rajah Bell.
0: Bell has done everything. Twenty-two
2: for Rajah. It's all the future of football right before
3: your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me.
1: Let's start over, shall we? Yeah, I had to Are come out with a sweatshirt. It
3: was I got hot in here. It really real got quick. hot. Uh, Thursday night
1: football: the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys do what almost no one thought that they could do. Uh, Even in Dallas, yeah, the most optimistic people said they could not beat the New Orleans Saints, the number one offense in the NFL. Uh, we learned a lot about the Cowboys' defense. Coming out of this one, does it really dramatically change the way you feel about either team? Um, dramatically.
3: Yeah, probably more about the Saints than the than the Cowboys. Because I was one of those people, I didn't think they had a chance. I thought, you know, New Orleans scored way too many points. Like, Dallas really hasn't lived up uh to the hype on that side of the ball defensively. Not like that. I know mean, they've been decent, but not like that. You took... Was one of the best offenses in the NFL. I don't know what they averaged a game. In the number 30s.
1: one, they were the number one scoring offense. And you, I thought Dallas would have to put up forty. Me too.
3: And I thought 40. it was impossible. Like when when yeah. you're relying on you know uh, the running game with Ezekiel Elliott, as great as that is, and then Dak Prescott to kind of manage the situation. I don't know that you can hang up a number. At least that's what I thought. They didn't have to. They didn't have to. Um, I think you know that concerns me about New Orleans. If people can get the type of pressure that they got on Drew Brees, yeah. Um, And really, like, stymie that run game that that no one's been able to figure out how to do. But, like, that front line and those linebackers last night, like, they were, they were hitting, they were sliding downhill. Um, and they really had Drew Brees just off platform and, and bothered. Like, they were able to keep him off the field to some degree. You heard Jerry Jones talk about that. But when he was on the field, he was really uncomfortable. Um, and I don't know that everyone has the ingredients to make, like, that dish. But if that's the recipe and people have the ingredients, then, yeah, I'm worried for the Saints.
1: Yeah, so they held New Orleans to 176 total yards of offense. They're lowest in a game since 2001. You mentioned the pressure. Drew Brees was sacked twice the previous six games. He was sacked twice in that game alone. Yeah. Uh, so that speaks a lot to the pressure. And my big takeaway from this one was that Cowboys defense. It gives me hope for the future. Sure. Uh Because... Dak Prescott is going to be up for a deal at the end of the year. Uh-huh. Uh, they've talked about wanting to pay him. Some people aren't sure if Dak's the man. And I think they can turn that doubt into a team-friendly deal for the Cowboys with Dak Prescott. Right. And we've seen in the NFL the way to win is to get your big-money guy on a team-friendly deal. Yeah. And that's the quarterback. And if Dak Prescott takes less, then they can really build a team around him, and they've already started doing that with a draft with that great defense.
3: Yeah, if that defense is going to play inspired like that, those young linebackers looked fantastic. Um, you're right. If they can get Dak locked up to something that's relatively conservative and it's a bargain, you know, Dak I think would win in that scenario too. Because like I don't know who would be giving him the type of deal that that some of these other quarterbacks got. So it could be a win-win. And you know, every team has a moment. And I heard one of Jerry's uh, sound bites that this team wouldn't be the same after this win. Um, teams have a moment where things change for them, where the belief in what they can do change. Maybe they were underachieving, and it just wasn't like clicking the way it should be. And then they have this moment, and now they're the best version of themselves. And I'm not ready to say that Dallas can contend for anything. Like That's not where I'm at. But I feel like that was their moment, too. I echo Jerry in that. I think this is the moment where things change for Dallas, at least – you know, this year, I can't speak to going forward, but at least this year.
1: It's a great point, and I think about the beginning of November. Troy Aikman came out on Dallas Radio and said, I think they need to blow this whole thing up. Yeah. Forget fire um, Jason Garrett. You can change coaches, but you, he said, we need to blow this whole thing up. And since that time, yeah. they've won four straight. And look at them now. They're first place in the NFC yep. East, and they look great. Back to the quarterback thing. When you think of teams who have a lot of talent in the NFL, stacked with talent, for me, I think the Steelers, mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger is the 12th highest paid quarterback. The Chargers, Phillip Rivers, the 14th. The Rams have the 26th highest paid quarterback in the NFL, and the Chiefs have the 37th. Yeah, you can spend that and money on the you other look places. at one, two, three, four, it's Green Bay, Atlanta, Minnesota, San Francisco, Detroit, Oakland. Yep. These are not teams that are built with talent on both sides of the ball to win a Super Bowl. And I think if they can get Dak on that yeah. game-friendly contract, they can be one of those. Yeah, players. it's a
3: really good point. Yeah.
1: They can. not So, big win for the Cowboys last night. Stopped a 10-game win streak uh, for the Saints in a big uh, loss for the Saints. We said the offense never really got rolling. Here's that Drew Brees sound we heard so much about.
0: Champ, champ! On the sunny side, despite tonight not being the berries, you have to believe that your Crescent City button men are all set to make a great run at another ice-covered Roscoe,
4: just like the Bulldog boys from Kenton Town.
2: I have no idea what that means.
0: Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> i make another run at a big title, sir.
2: Okay. Well, we're uh, we're just focusing on one game at a time. This one wasn't a, a, a great day for us, so we He's got a lot done. of work to do when we get back after this weekend.
1: Cool. He wasn't in a mood. So that was a guy from a radio station in Dallas called 1310 The Ticket. Yep. They've won the Marconi Award for the best radio station in the country. And that guy, it's a character. It's okay. Scoops Callahan. Okay. And there's a great uh montage on YouTube. He asks... Bill Belichick stuff? like It's the 1920s reporter. Okay. He always starts with, champ, champ.
3: Oh, okay, yeah, I yeah. heard the champ. I'm what like, don't
1: what? You, uh, give the bee's knees to the billy buzz. Right, right. right. And the <laughs> best response ever was Phil Mickelson.
3: What'd he say? He goes, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> well, that was my first reaction there. But typically, does he get guys after losses? Because, uh, like... All right, because that like, like the last thing you want to do as an athlete. I'm sitting up there. We got blown out like that. Obviously, I'm embarrassed. I didn't play well. Is to have you like mocking the situation, <laughs> right? Know. Like seriously, dude. Like, but um, look, I hear you. In terms of throwing it back to New Orleans, though, yeah, this like this cost them potentially home field. That's a that's a really big yeah. deal throughout the you uh, the, know the NFC playoffs, right? Yeah.
1: So now the LA Rams are, I believe, well, they have one loss, and the Saints have two losses. Yeah. Well, they had one, but uh, the Saints had the tiebreakers, So now that number one seed is in the destiny of, of the Rams. Yeah, and yeah, it could the be schedule critical sets up for the Rams, too. That's a good point. Yeah. All right, so let's go to the NBA. Uh big win last night for the Raptors over the Warriors. Warriors overcome an 18-point deficit behind Kevin Durant just going off yet again. Right. But then the Raptors go on win it in overtime, a season high thirty seven for Kawhi Leonard. What were your big takeaways from this?
3: Um, that Kevin Durant is virtually unguardable. Like when he gets hot, you know it doesn't really matter if you have the best defender on the planet, who is Kawhi Leonard. Like there's nothing you could do with him, um, and that Kawhi Leonard adds another dimension to that Raptors team. That should give people a little bit of playoff hope for them, where like, they were always the team you didn't necessarily trust in the playoffs. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's ability to kind of go get his own, defend, um, and facilitate to some degree. DeMar was a good player, but Kawhi is a great player. I think you should have some faith in Toronto as a potential playoff, uh, as an Eastern Conference champion. Over the Celtics, yeah. over Philly. Yeah, I, look, I don't know that, Fox. I don't know that they will. I'm not guaranteeing that, but where, in seasons past, I felt like it was fool's gold a little bit, an early good record from the Raptors because yep. I knew what the track record said and I knew what that version of the Raptors looked like in the playoffs. This version with Danny Green, who's playoff tested, knocking down a big three there, um, Kawhi, um, you've got, uh, Serge Ibaka is having a resurgence. Pascal Siakam had a
1: career high last.
3: Pascal Siakam is developing, um, you've got, uh, Van Vliet off the bench. You, you've got a cast of characters there that are tough. They defend, um, and they're, they've they really made a commitment over the last two years to go away from mid-range basketball, as the whole league has. But it's really helped them because they already had the defensive chops. And getting to shooting more threes and being proficient shooting threes, they're number two in the league in offensive efficiency right now. Combining that with the top ten defense, and you're cooking with grease.
1: Why have we seen the the change from Nick Nurse from Dwayne Casey? like what why okay so we were all shocked when they made right. that change they're like okay coach of the year number 1 seed and they switch it over to Nick Nurse and now we see they're they're rolling is it fair for me to say that the coaching kind of matters less on this team
3: yeah look i want to be fair to nick nurse right nick nurse is probably a really good coach i'm not saying that he's got nothing to do with that but if you had taken Dwayne Casey and given him DeMar De, I mean, given him Kawhi Leonard Kawhi, and started yeah. DeMar DeRozan, I'm pretty confident they'd be doing similar things. Like that, this team, um, is just really good. Now Nick plays a role in it. Sometimes a, a new voice, um, and a tweak in, in what you really fundamentally want to do or philosophically. Help for Kyle Lowry. Yeah. It can, it can, it can be really good for you, but I think also playing styles change what Kyle Lowry is able to do, right? Like DeMar DeRozan, uh, and Kawhi are two different guys. And if that's going to be, you know, his second player or first player to his second player, yep. um, it can fundamentally change the way Kyle Lowry looks too. So I don't know that it has as much to do with the coach as it has to do with just the personalities out there with.
1: I was talking to our NBA guy Brad Bakken before yeah. the show and he made a really good point. He said in the playoffs last year and in, in basically everywhere with LeBron James and the Cavs taking them out, Yeah, he said in those games, the Raptors could not beat the guy with the best player on the floor, and that was LeBron James. Yeah. And last night, even though the Warriors weren't full strength, the
3: Raptors beat the team with the best guy on the floor. Sure. And that was Kevin Durant. Well, Ka- Ka- Kawhi's a different animal, and that's why he's different than DeMar. He's like, closer. Yeah. He, DeMar, look, DeMar is closer too, uh, but he's not. Look, Kawhi is on a different level. If what,
1: you're tiering NBA. And what differentiates him in that next level?
3: Uh, first of all, he's bigger. right? He's bigger. He's longer. Um, he's able to affect. The game on the defensive end in a way that Demar is not able to affect affect the game on the defensive end. Um, he's got more range than Demar does. Demar's going to do a lot of his work, although he's gotten better at stretching the floor and stretching his range. He's not a like a three point threat most of the time. He wants to get to the bucket, shoot tough mid range jump shots, live on the foul line. Kawhi can do it at all three levels. He's beyond the three point line. He's mid range. He'll put you in the post a little bit, and he finishes at the rim. Plus, I think he's a better passer than Demar DeRozan. So, when, I mean, it's a laundry list of things there, but all in all a, a better player. So you're now not, the gap between Kevin Durant isn't as big with Kawhi Leonard there. So that's a good way yeah, of putting it. Right. Yeah.
1: And it's funny because we're not really breaking down the Warriors here because these aren't to us the Warriors without Steph, who's going to be back tomorrow night, by the yeah. way, and without Draymond Green. Uh, but to me, the way I've seen Kevin Durant play these last three games, scoring over 40 in a stretch of three games for the first time in his career. Yep. It hammers home the reason why they need Kevin Durant. He makes them another level. It's why they suspended Draymond Green without pay. Correct. Because he is this dude. Yeah. He is this dude. you forgot? He knows it. No, it's not that I forgot. Yeah. It's just that he's really put an exclamation point on it these last three games.
3: Yeah, look, this guy's in the prime of his career. And only because he's playing in Golden State. And he's choosing to win championships rather than go and be his own, like, entity. Yeah. And, and roll the dice on winning championships. Have you not seen him explode offensively to the degree that you maybe have never seen anyone other than MJ do before? Because this guy is as gifted as there's ever been in the NBA. And I'm saying that again, as there's ever been in the NBA in terms of being able to score the ball because he's virtually unguardable when he gets cooking. Um, the problem is, you know, he doesn't want to have to do that. And, he's and that's to, why he came to Golden State. Correct. And what what you do now is you drop Steph back in the mix, and he's just got his rhythm, and the team has just got his rhythm around Kevin Durant doing this. Okay. Right? Yeah. Now you're putting Steph back in the mix, and Kevin Durant doesn't do this anymore. So it's going to flip um, the chemistry again. It's just going to take a while. Yeah, At the end of the season, they'll be great. But you're right. The closing, like what what Golden State lacked to some degree when they lost to to Cleveland was a guy when push came to shove, and everybody was up under their men. You could give the ball to, you not run pick and roll for him, so they couldn't switch on Steph and say, hey, Here's the ball. You go get me thirty-five points and win the game. Yeah. That's who Kevin Durant is. Exactly. And that's why
1: they find Draymond Green and suspended him because they cannot have that kind of drama with K D. Um, so let's talk about something that happened after the game. K D gave his jersey to Drake. Yeah. Okay. And I heard people in the locker room, in the newsroom, they said Man, Drake always weasels his way into whatever, yeah. you know, any team, and he's supposed to be a Raptors team, right? And that to me, that's fake outrage. Um, I get it? You get the jersey of one of the best players in the world.
3: Uh, my, look, I, my sons. When when I worked in Cleveland, um, we went over to KD after the game and got a jersey and got it signed and like that's what that's what you do with guys that have magnitude look i'm with sometimes i'm with you on the drake thing like i get tired of seeing drake at nba games like again nba players don't hop on up on the stage at your concerts so there's there's a whole part of me that's like look drake allow the stage to be theirs for a night right but in terms of being a raptors fan and wanting a kd jersey i got absolutely no kd is going to be the one of the best to ever do it
1: Alright guys, there's drama in the NBA. There's been a lot lately. We so had the silly. Warriors drama, now we've got the Kings drama. And Dave Yeager is the Kings new head coach and there was um some there were rumors that came out earlier in the month about him in the front office having friction despite the hot start and unexpected start that the Kings have had. Right. Um and then a report from the Athletics says that Dave Yeager believes that assistant GM Brandon Williams is the one who wants him fired, and he asked him to be removed from the team shoot-around. Uh, Vlade Divac comes out with a statement. He says, I've advised my front office and coaching staff to not focus on drama and rumors, but instead to focus on continuing to develop our young, exciting team, and that's what we're going to do. I can't believe uh, that, yeah. right? Now, it's like, oh, the Kings. Look at what they're You know, exciting start. And then they're having beef with their head coach. Only the Kings can do this.
3: Yeah, I mean, they got the break speed off of them last night by the Clippers, but overall, I think they're exceeding expectations this year. They're mm-hmm. fun, um, which you haven't been able to say about the Kings in a long time. Uh, they got a lot of good young talent and you're, you know, Dave Yeager is, is a new coach. For, so for him to be beefing, with anyone in that organization or for anyone in that organization to be beefing with him does speak to the dysfunction that has been yeah. the Sacramento Kings for a while now. Um, I'm not there. I, I don't know Brandon. I know Brandon relatively well. I don't know Dave. Mm-hmm. Um You don't want any of this young enthusiasm like this. Tainted. You don't. So like squash the beef, whatever it is, we got to squash it. It doesn't. Look, man, if you're beefing already when things are going well, I don't know where this goes from there. But with Vlade, yeah. like, earn your money, bro. Put this to bed because you got a young, exciting brand of basketball. You got some good young stars there, and you want it to be celebrated. You want it, it, the, your coach and the GM to be the distraction.
1: They're also kind of upset that he's bringing Marvin Bagley the Third, their rookie off the bench. He has zero starts. They want him to be used differently, and so it's another example of a front office maybe trying to tell a head coach what to do. And that head coach like Dave Yeager is saying, you, you can't tell me what to do.
3: I'm not going to do it. Well, the best, look, the best organizations, they work in lockstep with each other. It's no different than a, than a, than a Fortune 500 company. Like if you have, uh, you know, if you have bosses, um, you have to know what they want and you guys have to figure it out. Like you may not want it. He may want it. You know, one of you winds up getting your way, but that has to be something that we figure out and we have to live with what that looks like, right? We have to figure out what's best for the franchise. And so, you know, I know that Brandon is a relatively young GM. He came from the Sixers. He was raised, I think it was Sam hinkey and them, were, were he was raised in that school. Um Dave is a relatively young head coach. They need to figure it out. Like, they have to grow up together, but they have to figure out what's best for that franchise. If it means Marvin Bagley comes off the bench for a year, yeah. hopefully he has a long career. One year's not going to kill
1: him. Yeah. So far, they started 10 and 11 a unexpected, exciting start. Yeah, Just like the start we've had. Like why
3: ruin that by you guys beefing and kicking each other out of practices and stuff? It makes no sense. Yeah. Cut it out. They're doing a
1: lot better than expected. Exciting start. It's been an exciting start on Off the Bench. Yeah. Maybe unexpected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome back to Off the Bench. That's Rajah Bell. I'm Casey Kiernan. We're going to bring in now yeah. an all-Ivy League safety. Oh. All-Ivy League safety. Barton Simmons. We should use that more often to introduce you. Do you agree?
2: I'm sure Raja is really impressed with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we've got 10 games going on, championship weekend, around college football. None bigger, you could argue, than the SEC championship. Barton, it's Alabama against Georgia. The Tide are 13.5-point favorites. I think everyone, including Vegas, assumes Alabama is definitely going to win this thing. Is that fair? This is an 11-1 and Georgia team.
2: Look, I mean... I think Alabama's going to win too. I'd be surprised if Georgia won, but at the same time, this is certainly the best team Alabama's played. I believe that uh, this is the most balanced team Alabama's played, and this is a team that also has uh, a certain element to them when they walk in the stadium where they're not going to be scared. They're not beat before the whistle blows, and so I mean those are a couple elements that you need to to be able to compete. With Alabama, so you know, I, I do think that this has a chance to be the most competitive game Alabama's played, and and I do think that you know you're talking about a Georgia team that had this Alabama team beat uh, in this same building uh, just a, a year ago almost, and so I, I think that there's reason to think that this game is is you know competitive and something to pay close attention to, and at the same time, I don't know about you guys, but I just don't see this Alabama team stumbling. Against this team, I, I, as I look ahead, uh, the, the teams that worry me if I'm Alabama are, are Clemson uh, and I think Oklahoma because of their offense, and I'm sure we'll talk about Oklahoma a little bit later as well, but uh, Georgia, I, I think the one thing they've got going for them here is, uh, along with those other things I mentioned, look, the offensive line is, is huge. and could potentially sort of control the pace a little bit. Um, I think in their secondary, they've limited big plays better than anyone in all of college football. In terms of 20 plus yard plays from scrimmage. Um, and I think that they've got some tricks in their bag. Probably they can pull out with Justin Fields, the backup quarterback, maybe having a series or two to give Alabama a different look. So it'll be an interesting game. George has got to, got to win it to, to advance, to, to feel comfortable about advancing likely. Uh, whereas Alabama, they could lose this thing and still get in. Well, Barton,
3: since you brought, you brought up Oklahoma, um, as, as and the threat that they could potentially pose to Alabama, but first, you know they got to get in, uh, and I want to talk about them and Ohio State together. If Oklahoma wins, are they definitely in, and is there anything that Ohio State can do uh, in their game against Northwestern that would change that?
2: Yeah, I'm curious where you guys are on this one. The way I see it, Oklahoma wins and they're in. Their end. Um, yeah. But I say that, and I think when we look at the committee, and, and you go back to 2014 um, when Ohio State jumped TCU to get in based on that dominating – Fifty whatever to three win against Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, and I think about this and I say, look, ultimately what what this is is a beauty contest. This is a subjective a subjective um, decision by a group of human beings, not a, not computers, and they're going to decide who's the best team. That's what their charge is: find out who the best teams are. And so as I look at this this uh, this weekend, and I look at Oklahoma playing the number thirteen team in the country, and Ohio State playing the number twenty one team in the country. Sitting there at five and six in the rankings. If, if Ohio State just goes out there and blasts Northwestern, you know, beats them 42 to seven. And and meanwhile, Oklahoma survives in another typical Oklahoma game, 49 to 45. They, they sneak by Texas. I could see a scenario where the committee says, you know what? No one's playing better football right now than Ohio State. How do we leave them out? given how vulnerable Oklahoma's defense has looked. I'm not saying I agree with that, no. but I, I do think that that's in play.
1: You, you leave them out because they lost by 29 points to Purdue. That's how you leave them out. And also Texas yeah. only beat Oklahoma by three points, and that's a, rival, a rivalry game, so that's how you leave them out. I think if yeah, Oklahoma I'm wins, they should and, be in.
2: And look, and if Oklahoma beats Texas, then they've beaten everybody on their schedule. So, exactly and I agree and, and I also look at Oklahoma and I say look Oklahoma while they do have a flawed defense this is a historic offense and I've been I've been preaching this like the the, the argument ag- against Oklahoma and For Ohio State is okay well both have great defense or great offenses Oklahoma' is number one in the country Ohio State's number two in terms of yards uh, from scrimmage per game uh, meanwhile defensively Oklahoma is 100 and something. And Ohio State is 67th or whatever it is. And it's like, well, there's a bigger gap between defense and offense. But the only reason there's a bigger gap between defense and offense is because Oklahoma can't go any higher than one. If we're talking historical offenses, <laughs> this is one of the best of all time. We're talking 8.92 yards per play every play. So I really think because of the potency of that offense, when you go to the college football playoffs, This is an Oklahoma team that can compete with anybody, and I'm talking Alabama as well. If I'm Alabama, then I'm hoping Ohio State gets in because I Uh, I want nothing to do with Kyler Murray.
1: I am right there with you. I would love to see a semifinal of Alabama and Oklahoma because I think Oklahoma – is the team that could actually put up points on this Alabama defense? I, I love that scenario. Okay, let's go over the ACC um, and look. We all know that they're going to win this game, Clemson over Pitt. They're twenty-seven and a half point favorites. Seventy percent of the picks of the bets in Vegas are on Clemson to cover. Right. So I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback there uh, for Clemson, because you know you're the director of scouting for twenty-four-seven Sports, which means that you followed this kid since his earliest days in high school how have you seen trevor lawrence evolve and mature this year
2: well i think i mean sometimes when we talk about these prospects um and and you know you'll throw me a question you'll say hey you know this kid since he's a freshman in high school whatever sometimes that's true sometimes it's not sometimes they emerge as seniors and i just got one more one year head start on everybody else but trevor lawrence is that unique case where the kid was balling out as a freshman in high school in big-time football in the state of Georgia, winning state championships as a starting quarterback. So this guy has had four years as a starter, where he lost, I think, three games in his high school career, won a couple state championships, and put up ridiculous numbers. And, and he has been the number one prospect in the country throughout the majority of his recruiting process. So when he got to Clemson, there, there was no, you know, the stage wasn't too big. It wasn't something he was going to take a while to get used to and get comfortable with. The spotlight's been on this guy. And from a skill set standpoint, I think everybody sees it. The arm talent, I think he really has unlocked in a way that we expected him to. The big receivers on the outside, like T Higgins and Justin Ross. But but I think the, the thing that has really allowed him to excel and be special, and, and look, there's so much pressure on the guy. Like we, we're over, we're just sort of uh, bypassing the idea that look, they just got rid of a, a starter. Uh, he, he, you know, he ran out of town, a starter that led them to the college ball playoffs last year, and now all this pressure on, is on him. And he hadn't blinked, he hadn't flinched. And so I think that that sort of demeanor, that calm, that comfortable attitude with having the spotlight on him, is really what's allowed Trevor Lawrence to excel. And and you know, when you look at the PFF grades and and everyone that's really sort of studying what he's done this year. I mean, he's he's blown it away in terms of what we expect out of true freshman quarterbacks. Uh, and, and I think that he'll be ready for the playoffs. Barton, talk to me about the Pac-12
3: real quick. You got Utah and Washington, Washington minus
2: 5.5. Well, look, I, I think it's going to be a hard-hitting, like blue-collar physical game. And, and I think that's a – it feels like a big number to me, 5.5 points uh, with a Utah team that just knows how to win. Um, when you look at Washington's defense, uh, as good as they are, kind of the, the dirty little secret about Washington's defense is defensive front, they're not that impressive. Like, they, they can give a little bit. And so I think Utah could find some success in the run game. But then you look back, you circle back to that first game they played, where Washington won 21-7, and you, and you kind of remind yourself what happened there. And really what happened was Utah could run the ball a little bit. They just couldn't throw And that was with um, Tyler Huntley, the starting quarterback, is now injured. So it's almost like this reverse. You hear about stopping the run and forcing teams to be one-dimensional. Washington is kind of the opposite. They they stop the pass, force teams to to be one-dimensional in the run game, and I think that's going to force Utah to struggle a little bit. I think Washington wins in a really close game. That should be fun if you like defensive football.
1: Yeah, Washington wins a three-loss Pac-12 champ. Disappointing for the conference, disappointing for the Huskies. All right, real quick on uh, UCF. No, Mackenzie Milton, do you think the winning streak ends against Memphis?
2: Yeah, I was in Memphis over the summer um, at one of their camps. I talked to a couple of their coaches, and one of the things that stood out to me was when Mike Norvell gets a second look at you, if he's seen you once and he can game plan for you again, you're going to be in trouble. And Mike Norvell has seen this team once, almost beat them the first time. I remember last year, put up 13 points in the regular season against UCF, 55 in the AAC championship game. I think that Memphis is going to be ready to pull an upset here. And in fact, the, the fact that McKenzie Milton is injured kind of scares me a little bit from it because I could see UCF sort of elevating their play, everybody picking up the slack to make up for missing their star quarterback. Uh, but that said, I, I just really have a lot of faith in Memphis. I think it's going to be a really high-scoring game for both sides. Uh, but I think that uh, the Memphis got the stuff to maybe go ahead and make this thing happen and end the streak.
1: All right, championship weekend. Barton Simmons, all Ivy League safety all world college football <laughs> analyst. Thanks, man. All right, guys. All right, coming up on off the bench. Are you are you pumped up for this fight?
3: Uh, yeah, what the Deontay Wilder fight? I, yeah. Look, you should be after the press conference. Like and I'm fired up.
1: You will be after Brian Campbell breaks it down. Plus, Dave Richard here with some fantasy football yep. advice. Stick around.
3: There ain't never been a man that could to me in a fight, ever. Never. Not a spa, not a boxing match, not a professional fight, not anything. I've never, ever been bettered. Not one time. So if Deontay Wilder is that man, then God bless him. Because I've been waiting and searching for him. I've been searching the world for somebody to better me for 10 years. I ain't found it. I'm France, the best in the world. And I'm going to show you over and again. I've sold you guys over again. They fear me. They should. They think I'm crazy and I'm am. You better be afraid. I'm unpredictable as well, too. Because when I get in the ring, baby, it it ain't going to be no more Mr. Nice Guy.
1: They're both undefeated, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. And, you know, Brian Campbell is undefeated in the fight analysis game. And he's the host of In This Corner. And he joins us from Los Angeles from his hotel room. So, Brian, uh, it's two undefeated fighters, heavyweight about title fight for the WBC uh belt that's currently Wilder's. And in your uh fight story, you call it one step closer to finding out who will be the face of this exciting new era. This
4: is more than just a fight, isn't it, Brian? Yeah, look, there's a heavyweight renaissance going on, and I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that guys like Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua are as good as, let's say, the Ali Frazier Foreman trio of the 70s or the... Tyson Holyfield bow trio of the 90s but they're fun they can talk they're aggressive they want to fight each other for the most part they're pretty darn huge too six foot seven against six foot nine in this fight this is as fun as the division has been in a long time really going back to Lennox Lewis's retirement in 2004 and you know that old adage right that old cliche as the heavyweight division goes so does boxing but on a casual level That's 100% true. The Klitschko era was not fun for this sport in terms of gaining attention in the United States. And look what we have now on Saturday night. The first heavyweight championship pay-per-view bout since Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson in 2002 that took place in the United States. Guys, that's a long time. I mean, it's fights like Bo Holyfield, they're still real to me, damn it. It's been a long time <laughs> since we've drank it from this cup. Hey, Brian, let me ask,
3: because it's an entertaining press conference. Can the fight live up
4: to the high hype? Will there be fireworks? Well, look, any Deontay Wilder fight, because of that atrociously big right hand, right? He's 40-0, 39 knockouts, has actually knocked out every opponent he's ever faced because he got Bermain Stavern Stiver- back in that rematch last year is exciting. Even if the fight is boring, it ends up being exciting because Wilder carries that streak of drama where he could fall down six, seven rounds and seemingly be out of the fight, but really never be. Because this is not a guy who comes in there to win decisions. This is a guy who waits till you fatigue, lines you up with that big right hand, and is not afraid to throw the kind of, let's say, helicopter punches you see in a schoolyard fight inside the ring. He's not a technically good boxer. He's very crude, but he's so powerful and so destructive that you know that adage: Styles make fights. You have the ultimate raw, sloppy, violent slugger in Deontay Wilder against a heavyweight in Tyson Fury, who's quick like a middleweight. We've never seen a guy with this much speed in a six foot nine body with that kind of length. So the opportunity for this to be the kind of chess match that's fun to watch and breaks open with pockets of action and violence are really off the charts. This is an incredible matchup when you match up the personalities, when you match up how long it's been since we've seen a fight this big in this division, but also when you really look at that style matchup. And Casey, you mentioned coming in, we got Wilders' WBC title at stake, and don't forget that Anthony Joshua of Great Britain, of course, holds the other three recognized heavyweight belts, but there's something even more important at stake on Saturday night, and that's the Lineal Championship. The guy who beat the guy who beat the guy. And in this day and age in boxing where there's too many world titles, sometimes the lineal title is the only pure thing left. Fury never lost that. He beat Vladimir Klitschko three years ago this week, went off into a dark spin in which he ballooned to 400 pounds, fought through mental health disorders, fought through substance abuse. But he's back, and this is a remarkable transformation, and that lineal championship is still on the line on Saturday night. And that's why the winner, regardless of if they ever face Anthony Joshua, has that chance to say, I'm the best in the world. I'm the baddest man on the planet.
1: Yes, they actually both have really interesting stories. And you just mentioned Furies there. Wow, wow. Um and Wilder, his daughter was born with spina bifida. That's why he started boxing. He started boxing at 20, I believe, Brian. He was in the Olympics at 22, right? And and he medaled and he bronze. Uh, and you spoke to him on in this corner. He spoke to Wilder, and he you you guys talked about the Joshua fight potentially. Uh, what do you think about
4: the chances if Wilder wins? We'll see that fight. You know, you can just say, I hope so. It should happen. Boxing deserves this. The problem, of course, with modern-day boxing is the politics that get in the way. There's no centralized body or promoter, let's say like the UFC, where inevitably, eventually, the best are going to fight the best. In this case, you have two fighters fighting for competing cable networks, if you will. A lot of times, that gets in the way. We should have already seen this fight. There's been a very long public negotiation this year that ended – Really in, in nothing happening. A lot of he said, she said, if Wilder defeats Fury, or really honestly, even if Fury wins, the groundswell from that will be so huge for a fight this big that eventually the winner has to fight Joshua because there's so much money at stake. And for anybody that isn't woke in the States on Anthony Joshua, <laughs> this is a gold medalist from England built like a linebacker in the NFL who regularly fights in front of 80 to 90,000 in England in soccer stadiums and it's like a cultural event it's not like a night out at the fights it's like a we're grateful dead fans and we got to follow him to the next show i mean this is a guy who's the biggest star in global boxing yes we will see it eventually i hope though the powers that be can get out of each other's way and let's not have another pacquiao mayweather situation where we're waiting five and a half years so brian let me nail you down who you got in the fight and why you got him look there's a lot of reason to like Deontay Wilder, because he's finished everybody he fought, because there's more question marks facing Tyson Fury, who's dropped upwards of 145 pounds over the past calendar year, only had two comeback fights, really against marginal competition, didn't show you a lot. For Fury to pull this off, and what I mean by that is disarm Wilder, switch stances, be, be herky-jerky, and really go the distance and upset him. It's going to be like a baseball pitcher throwing a perfect game because Wilder can finish you at any time in the fight. He doesn't get down about losing rounds. He stands back there with that big weapon and waits to land it on you. But at the same time, guys, there's that, you know, the English fans they like to sing, there's only one Tyson Fury. (laughs) There's really only one Tyson Fury in this heavyweight division and only one guy capable, in my estimation, of doing that to Wilder because he's so smart. He's so quick and he's crazy enough to stand in the pocket against the biggest puncher in the entire sport and do what he has to do to get to that finish line. Bet the, the betting public, you know, the, the odds makers like Wilder by a little bit. It seems mm-hmm. the critics, the experts, the ex fighters, they like Wilder by a lot. I like Fury by split decision Ooh. to flip that apple cart upside down and maybe get his own shot at Anthony Joshua in front of, I don't know. 200,000 people in England, as many as they can fit in there. That'll be a world event if it happens. Surely this would be a great comeback story. But Fury's got the skills, and great pitching beats great hitting almost every day of the week. Let's see if it happens on Saturday night.
1: Brian Campbell calling for the upset. Fury against Wilder from Staples. Showtime pay-per-view, 9 Eastern. Thanks a lot, Brian. All right, fantasy football advice now from our Dave Richard. Let's bring in Dave because Dave... You know, it's week 13 in the NFL. We're either in the playoffs or trying to get in the fantasy playoffs. Let's start with quarterback Lamar Jackson. He's had a great two starts, winning
0: both. Is he a must start at this point? I'm not ready to say that Lamar Jackson is a must start, Casey, but he's getting pretty dang close. Nice matchup at Atlanta, fast track, bad defense. That's usually a good combination. If we had seen better passing from Lamar Jackson over the last two games, then I think it's a no-brainer. He'd be in the top ten. As it stands now, there are a lot of really good quarterbacks this week. I'll take Jameis Winston ahead of him. I'll take Marcus Mariota ahead of him. I think they're safer, but I do think Lamar Jackson is better this week than Kirk Cousins. I think he's better than Baker Mayfield, and I think he's even better than Tom Brady and Carson Wentz. I think he has more upside than those guys this week. If he's still out there on your waiver wire, go ahead and pick him up. By the way, next week, it's Kansas City, and the week after that, Tampa Bay. So there are a lot of really nice matchups setting up for Lamar Jackson. All right, you talked
3: about quarterbacks. Andy Dalton is out for the Bengals. They're starting Jeff Driscoll. Uh, at that point, can we trust anybody on the uh, on the Bengals' uh, offense?
0: Well, uh, let's start with Joe Mixon, who I think people are going to start regardless of who the quarterback is. I think Joe Mixon is going to be capable of getting about 15 carries, five, six catches, you saw him get more than that in the receiving game last week. You've got to count on that, and it's not an easy matchup against Denver. I know the Broncos playing on the road. Maybe you think that it's an advantage for Mixon. I don't think it's going to be that big of an edge for him especially with Driscoll on the field. But I do think it's good that A.J. Green is back. That'll change the dynamic of how defenses play against Mixon. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I think he's a top 15 fantasy running back this week. A.J. Green with Jeff Driscoll at the trigger, I think he's going to be a low-end number two fantasy wide receiver. And I think you look at Tyler Boyd, he's more of a number three. The quality of targets, even going from Andy Dalton, who's like here, down to Jeff Driscoll, who's down here, it's not going to be very good for them. They're going to need to break a play after the catch, move after a tackle. That's not going to be easy to do against this Denver defense.
1: All right, and you've got your sneaky sleeper this week. is Derek Henry running back for the Titans. Yeah,
0: you know, he actually played about half the snaps last week when the Titans were playing from behind against Houston, and he's going up against the Jets, and the Jets, they've allowed five running backs in their last five games to get double-digit fantasy points. They've allowed seven touchdowns to the position. 4.7 4.7 yards per carry. You know what Deion Lewis can do in this offense, but Derrick Henry's been getting a bigger piece of that pie, and he's gonna, I'm gonna show you what Derrick Henry does. <laughs>
1: Wow, that was awesome. Is <laughs> he gonna come in here? Oh! oh!
0: <laughs> Derrick Henry! <laughs>
1: Oh my god, Dave, don't hurt yourself. Are you okay? Okay, that was Dave. I'm good, I'm good. he was trying good, to hide. I'm good, I'm good. So, so we should, we should take, take Derek, Derek Henry.
0: User's use use All right. Not right. like Dion Lewis. Not, Dion Lewis, I like too. He's, gonna
1: be better <laughs> than like, he's
0: gonna a better in the leagues where like.
1: Welcome back to Off the Rails. I'm still recovering from yeah. Dave Richard. Dave, I think I, he injured me. I think he like pulled the sprayed. curtain back. Did the yeah. people know that he's just literally talking 10 feet out. Of. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't know. It's more like 25, it's 25, 30.
2: Okay. Uh,
1: so let's talk, let's pull the back, back the curtain on what the Lakers are doing there to build sort of team chemistry. Yeah. They brought in Denzel Washington to talk to the team. Part of their Genius Talk series. That's oh. not uh, pretentious. Uh, they brought in Elon Musk. Kendrick Lamar, yeah. and Olympian Allison Phoenix, Coach Luke Walton says he wants to start every day being humble. Sure. Because the Genius Talk series is all about being humble. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> grateful for the lives that they have and use their blessings to help other people.
3: Sure. Um, look, I like this. Okay. Basketball seasons are long. <laughs> yeah. They can be very like Groundhog Day-ish. You know? It's the same thing. It's the same routine. You're playing the same players. Um, so anything that can Bring a different perspective. Um, you're dealing with a lot of young guys, too. Don't have a whole lot of life experience, sometimes outside of, of the basketball arena. Um, so bringing in people that can help them broaden horizons, give them different perspectives, just generally break the monotony of what you have going on in an NBA season um, is good. Not to mention that you're talking about, like, you make fun of the genius thing. You're talking about every, all of these people are titans in their fields. Um and so they would share common threads and common mindsets like they might have the same exact message but there's common like DNA when you're talking about building champions or building right uh, fortune 500 companies these guys have certain mindsets and so being able to share that uh, with guys in the NBA who you you would hope have those mindsets uh, is, is it's good it's cool for them
1: when I was in San Antonio I was a local sports reporter yeah. and the Spurs pop brought brought in John Carlos do you know who that is? He's from the 1968 yeah, totally. Olympics. Yeah. Yes, him and Tommy Smith mm-hmm. and John Carlos came in. He talked about. Uh, he talked to the guys, and it's funny because that talks very much to the Spurs culture, right. right? So when you said those guys like an Elon Musk or a Denzel Washington are at the top of their field, and there are similar characteristics getting to the top, there getting to the top in the NBA, yeah, really talks to the culture that Pop's trying to build there. He brings in a guy who had to do with civil rights, correct. And to build that culture with the Spurs. So maybe it could have a lot to do with
3: culture building.
1: Yeah, what do you see? What do you see in the Lakers culture that they're trying to build, bring in Elon Musk, Kendrick Lamar?
3: Yeah. Well, it's Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like when you were – pop is more about building people, it would sound like, from who he's bringing in, yeah. right? Like in rounding you out um, – As a person and as a human being in general, when you're talking about like social activism and stuff like that, then the Lakers are the biggest, most glamorous brand in basketball. One of the most glamorous brands in sport. And so when you're bringing in entertainers, uh, you know, actors, musicians and stuff like that, Elon Musk's of the world, like these are famous people for, for, you know, a lot of the reasons is entertainment right and that's what yeah. the Lakers are in terms of being a brand and they so it speaks to that yeah yeah and 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 like not only embrace it but you know dominate it like Denzel Washington is fantastic you know what I mean and and you know a lot of these people come from nothing too and so you know their their stories although they've taken different paths they wind up in the same place and um, again a lot people take for granted that these kids some of them are 18 years old Um and they didn't do much but play basketball growing up. Yeah. You know, so giving them some other perspectives is really it's really important. Did you have any experiences like that when you were in the NBA? Um you know, I didn't play for a team that brought in anybody. to talk But in to us twelve like that. years, yeah, no, you didn't know. No, not okay, anything okay. cool like
1: that. Remember
3: how we saw Drake?
1: I met a lot of cool people. Yeah, I was gonna like, say, remember how we saw Drake on the on the uh court
3: yeah, side? Yeah. Do you ever have any? Experience? Well, I met a, a lot of cool people. Like uh, Muhammad Ali used to come to a lot of Suns games, and so I got to go to his events and and you know speak to his wife and stuff like that. And so I've met a lot of cool uh people who y- you may pick their brain or, yeah. or or chop them up along the way but I didn't have the opportunity really on any of the teams that I played for to actually have one of those guys sit down and and give us you know an hour and a half two right. hours of their time to really yeah. really pick their brain yeah.
1: so it's pretty cool the Lakers yeah. taking advantage of what they have there in their backyard sure. uh so in the NFL Richard Sherman is returning to Seattle for the first time of course he's on the 49ers in that same division there and you know the headline Richard Sherman says he didn't really have a relationship with Russell Wilson is this a story or no, a non-story? It's a
3: non-story. Why? Like, first of all, like I, I'm in a locker room with 15 people in the NBA, and I might not have. You have a relationship, like I know you. It's a, but we don't have to break bread or go to dinner or you know go on double dates. Like it, it doesn't have to be like that. And so, in a 15 person locker room, there would be people that if you asked me that I really have a relationship with them other than just being on the same team, the answer would have been no. So to be in a locker room as big as a football locker room and not really have a genuine relationship with someone. I don't think that's a thing. There's a teammate relationship, and then there's a more than a teammate.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I got to say, I think it would be weird if you were on a a different team coming from the Suns, and you said, I didn't have a
3: relationship with Steve Nash. We
1: didn't have a relationship. I would
3: find that weird. I really would. Well, Uh, look there are degrees of relationships again right like i was friends with everybody just about on on my team but when we go to like let's say i'm on a on a philadelphia 76ers team and we get to san antonio and we don't have much to do so we're rallying the troops to see what's going on like i didn't go out with Derek coleman and those guys like and 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 i wasn't in their inner circle you know what i mean like i was with damone brown and and you know other guys like that so like we didn't have the same type of relationship as I would have had with someone else so I don't think that's there's a problem with that. Yeah. Like, you wind up splintering off in most cases into a couple different groups, and that bond with your group is gonna be much stronger than that bond with another group. And then again, in a football locker room, when you have that many dudes, I really don't think it's a big deal mm-hmm. for, you know, a guy on the offensive side of the ball to not really have a genuine relationship with the guy on yeah. the defensive
1: side of the ball. Yeah, well, the 49ers, not gonna have a lot of winning going on in Seattle. Not now, maybe next year when yeah. Garoppolo gets back healthy.
3: Yeah, like CJ Beth, what are do you
1: doing